We turn in God's Word this evening to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14, and then we're going to read uh, through verse 10 of chapter 5. That seems like a more ordinary section rather than the uh, chapter break and verse break that uh, uh, editors have placed here in, in this book. So chapter 4, 14 through 5, verse 10. However, our message tonight is only on 14, 15, and 16 of chapter 4. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. As far as the reading of God's word to us, let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have ordained your Son to be the high priest. We today still pray for those who are of the Jewish faith, that they will get the full gospel, they will get the gospel, and that they will be converted. This book is just for us and for the Hebrews. We ask that you be with Pastor Bob as he explains this to us. ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So we want to look at this section, these three verses under three points, each point for the verse. So first of all, the identity of the high priest, which we find in verse 14, the qualities of our high priest, which we find in verse 15, 
and the call of our high priest, which we find in verse 16. Then, Lord willing, in weeks to come, we'll come back to chapter 5 and deal with the rest of what the Lord gives to us in this passage as well about the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. So as I mentioned this morning, there's a lot of therefores in this book. And uh, although this section does not begin with the word therefore, it certainly begins with something that is quite close since then. In fact, I believe some of your versions uh, have their another therefore. So it's once again because of the fact that we have our eternal rest in Christ, so then we have a great high priest because of that promised eternal rest. So now the author of Hebrews is taking us uh, on a several chapter section dealing with the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. And it may seem rather, why, why do we need to spend time on verse 14, the identity of the high priest, but once again, let's be reminded of the original audience, right, to whom this comes. They are those who have grown up, have heard about the work of the high priest, of those who were descendants of Aaron. They have that rich Old Testament history before them. They, they have all of those laws and all of those rights and all of those requirements that the high priest had to have. And they're perhaps wondering, what of all of this then? What of all that God has said in his word, in the scriptures, regarding the high priest? The author here is presenting to them and to us the fact that we have a great high priest. And it comes to us in a different way, doesn't it? it it's not so much that, that we, in our sense, in our understanding, struggle with the fact that, it's, that he's not a descendant of Aaron, so how can he be a priest? And that's where the whole Melchizedek thing comes in. But we'll get to that in weeks that lie ahead. Perhaps for us, it's more the question, did he really do all that we think he did? Did he really accomplish all? Did he really pay it all? We've sung it beautifully this evening. We've sung it convincingly. But perhaps all of us at one time or another are beset with the thought of, are my sins fully covered? And so we too need to know the identity of our great high priest. Great here meaning superior, the one that is above, the one that stands alone as it were, the one to whom we can never give that title to. Anyone else? There is only one high priest. And the author in verse 14 identifies him for us. His name is Jesus. 
Now we know that, right? We, we understand that. But it's interesting how he places this before us. Right? Read with me. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. Jesus. Once again, it, every once in a while, there, there's interesting things that you, you just pick up. He doesn't identify him as Jesus Christ. Jesus. What, what does that mean when, when the author here only identifies him as Jesus? Not as Jesus Christ, but Jesus. That is the name he is given, right? That is the name that the angel comes to Joseph and says, you shall call his name Jesus. And when the time came and she gives birth, they call him Jesus. Why? He shall save his people from their sins. His people. His people not only meaning Jewish people, his people, human beings, such as he is, as this babe of Bethlehem. There, there is, the, the name Jesus reminds us of that humanity of Jesus. It reminds us of the fact of the pregnancy of Mary. It reminds us of the labor of Mary, of the deliverance, of the birth of this child and of the fact that the Son of God became man. It identifies for us that yes, he came to save his people, one with whom he is alike. He shared a human nature with us. Jesus, our great high priest, was not some angel dropped out of the sky. Our great high priest was not just a divinity that came. Our great high priest shared our human nature. And the author is going to tell us more about that. But that's in that name, Jesus. Secondly, in identifying our great high priest, he said, it's Jesus, the Son of God. And that draws us back then, resonant, to Hebrews chapter 1. And the divinity of Jesus. That he isn't just carrying a human nature, but that he is also divine. That Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, where we see him as the radiancy of the glory of God, where we see him as the exact imprint of God, where we see him as God. Right? Son of God does not mean he's lesser than God. Son of God does not mean he's diminished God in some capacity. Right? That's why we, we express tonight our faith that we, we derive out of those words of the Apostles' Creed. That's why we sang the hymn that we did as a reminder that, that Jesus Christ is divine, human and divine. Our great high priest is human, 
but he is also divine. That's why he's the great high priest. He is above all priests. There is no priest. Aaron couldn't lay title to that. Aaron couldn't say, I am both human and divine. Melchizedek. Maybe. We'll have to examine that in the weeks that lie ahead. Right? Because Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron. Does that possibly mean that for us, Melchizedek is an Old Testament figure of the coming of Christ? Most likely, most definitely. You see, that's why he's great. He's Jesus, the Son of God. But the text adds one other thing, doesn't it? He is a great high priest because he has passed through the heavens. Now, if we remember our Old Testament, we remember that there is an occasion upon which the high priest was able to pass through the curtain. Right? Where? Where does he go when he passes through the curtain? Into the most holy place, which is what? The presence of God. That's where God's glory dwelt between the cherubim. So the Old Testament priest, upon one day a year, the Day of Atonement, is allowed to pass through the curtain into the presence of God. Do you know how long he's there? We call it a Day of Atonement. Right? So is he there 24 hours? No, it's momentary. He's able to enter this thing, he sprinkles some blood, and he leaves. Moments. Some commentators say it would be less than minutes. One day a year, he gets to enter, pass through the curtain, there in the presence of God, sprinkles some blood, moves. What is the author telling us in this text? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has passed through the heavens. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Here's the, here's the explanation of that passing through the heavens, lest we get some sort of strange idea of what is going on here. Right? We let Scripture interpret Scripture. What does it mean that he passed through the heavens? It means what we have in 924. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Remember what I told you is going on in the Old Testament? Old Testament priest gets to enter on the Day of Atonement into where? The most holy place, the presence of God, but for a few moments, once a year, 
What has Jesus Christ done? What has this high priest done? He has passed through the heavens. In other words, he has entered. He has entered into the presence of God in heaven itself. One day a year? No. For a few moments? No. But forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ is the high priest always in the presence of God. Now just compare them. Is Jesus greater than any human priest? A human priest, few moments in the presence of God, only after he's made sacrifices for himself, Jesus Christ enters into the presence of God in heaven, not in some tent, not in some thing that simply represented glory in heaven, but he has entered heaven itself and there forever in the presence of God on behalf of his people. A priest representing the people for a few seconds, once a year, Christ who represents his people forever and ever and ever and never leaves the presence of God. Which one is greater? So it's important that we understand the identity, isn't it? Our high priest doesn't come and go. Our high priest is in the presence of God. Secondly, verse 15. Here's the way it reads. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Three things. Three things to look at in that verse. One, as we think about the qualities of our high priest, he can sympathize. He can sympathize. Why can he sympathize? Because he's Jesus. He had that human nature. He was here. He lived here. He died here. He was persecuted here. He can sympathize. These people, undoubtedly, to whom the, the author is writing, are going through persecution. How do we know that? Because the Jews always persecuted those who came to Christ. The Jews always persecuted those who were their brethren who came. We're studying about that now, aren't we not? And, and those of you in adult Sunday school, in the book of Acts, Right? Their persecution of veiled threats, their persecution of imprisonments, their persecution that's going to involve beatings, their involvement in the death of many. These people, to whom the author is writing, undoubtedly are suffering persecution too. Is Christ able to sympathize? Is 
our great high priest able to understand that? As we think not only about that last week, but his entire life, is Jesus able to sympathize with those who face persecution? Is Jesus able to sympathize with those who face alienation? Those who face being left alone, being abandoned? As Jesus sees all of those disciples leave, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. As he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does Jesus understand abandonment? And is he able to sympathize? Most certainly. Are we afflicted? So is Jesus. He can sympathize. This is our high priest. Sometimes I think you and I get the feeling. Sometimes our government leaders don't really know the implication of what they're saying, right? I think, I think we've all kind of come to that conclusion, right? This past week with the California governor and, you know, his, you know, great expensive meal at this restaurant and not following his own orders. I, I, I think we pretty much sometimes get the clue that most of these people don't have a clue what it's like to be us. They live in a different world. They live in a different society. They live in a different culture. They live in some sort of bubble. At least sometimes it seems like that. Does Jesus... Is Jesus as the Son of God so aloof, so separate, so apart? I mean, he is the Son of God. He, he's the radiancy of God's glory. He's the creator of all that is. He has the name that is above every name. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Does Jesus understand what it means to be us? Do you understand what it means to live an ordinary life in this world? He can sympathize. Why? Because our great high priest is Jesus. Not in the sense that he's the son of God and divine and knows all and, you know, is aware of all. No, he's Jesus. He had that human nature. He knows exactly what it's like to be us, even to the point of temptation. He was tempted. Now, sometimes I have heard individuals, I don't know if they've said it directly, or at least they seem to indicate it, that somehow there's something wrong with you. Somehow there's something amiss. Somehow there's, your, your faith just isn't quite what it ought to be if you're tempted. Well, I would agree. Yielding to temptation, but facing temptation? 
Did not Adam and Eve in their perfect state get tempted? Does God ever blame them that Satan came and tempted? No. They're responsible for yielding to the temptation. But let me provide you the greater example. Jesus. He's tempted. Were they real temptations or were, were they just fake? Was this just some scenario? I think you and I as those who ascribe to the word of God that it is true, it's not making it up, it's not just theoretical that Jesus faced three real temptations there in the desert by the devil. Something wrong with his faith. Did Jesus not trust enough? I think we would say, no, that's, that's, that's not true. Then being tempted is not the sin. Yielding to the temptation is. Now, don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that we place ourselves in the way of temptation. That doesn't mean that, that we purposely put ourselves in temptation's way. Nor does it mean that being tempted we are enticed to do because of our sinful nature. That's not what I'm saying either. But the mere fact we are tempted And the struggle that you and I should have over that. We have a high priest. Who knows what temptation is. He has also experienced it. He knows Satan's ways. He knows Satan's purposes. He knows Satan's plans. And the temptation was a real temptation. In the Old Testament, every single one of those priests were required to offer a sacrifice for their own sins before they could sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus Note, verse 15, was without sin. Why is he the great high priest? Because <laughs> he can sympathize. He's been tempted, and yet he is without sin. Perfect, approved, qualified to be the superior high priest. Nothing in our experience, even death, is unknown to him. He is our great high priest, Jesus, 
the Son of God who has passed through the heavens. But now comes this call, right? If we have this great high priest, then listen to the invitation. Let us then draw near. Isn't that beautiful? Because we have this high priest, let's draw near. The way it's written in the Greek is the understanding that this is something they are doing it, and the, and the author is simply encouraging it. Continue on, continue on. Keep drawing near to this great high priest to draw near, to enter into God's throne room. To approach, to approach. It's the Old Testament term, once again, used of the Old Testament priest who would approach God. Who would approach God as he went to that tabernacle, as he approached God, as he went into the holy place, as he approached God, as he went into the most holy place. And now that same is given to us. Approach, draw near, come close. It's a gracious invitation, is it not? We have this great high priest. Let us draw near. He invites us to come with him into the presence of God. He doesn't say, let me do it all. You guys stay way, way, way. Way away. Let's make some big boundary. I'll do it all. You, you guys, no, draw near. Come, come along with me. Come with me into the presence of God. Draw near. What a beautiful, invitation our high priest gives. He enables. See, in the Old Testament, no high priest could invite anybody else. He'd die. If he said, hey, come along with me and I'm going to go into the most holy place, come along, take along with me. Just watch. If he approached God with, with that, he'd be slain. God would kill him. Only he was allowed to approach. But our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, invites us to come with him into the presence of God. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Listen to that term. I use it often when, I, when we have our congregational prayer, right? The throne of grace. I want you to concentrate not so much on the word grace, but the word throne. Grace has a throne. The throne of grace. The place from which grace comes. It throne represents God's rule. God is the ruler of grace. God is the dispenser of grace. God, as it were, we could say, is the sole owner of grace. And we're invited by our great high priest to enter in to that throne room 
of grace. And we are allowed to do so with confidence. We can confidently come. Remind yourself of the Old Testament story of Esther. Right? Mordecai comes and says, you know, you, you, ought to, you, you, you ought to go to the king and explain. I can't go to the king. And if he don't, if he don't extend that scepter, I'm a dead woman. I can't do that. And although we read Esther did it, my, my, the impression of the, of the passage would be, I think she did it with a lot of fear and trembling. She's doing it because Mordecai told her to do it, but there's a little bit of... Mm, listen to this invitation. Come. Come to the throne of grace. Come into the presence of God with confidence. Confidence in what? In myself? No. Confidence in my purity? No. Confidence in my righteousness? No. The confidence is in our great high priest. The confidence is in Christ. If I approach God without confidence, it's like saying, I don't really know if Jesus has done his work right. I don't know if my high priest has really finished his task. See, I think one of the reasons that sometimes perhaps our prayer lives are so ineffective is because it lacks confidence. Or it has misplaced confidence. We're trusting in, in the confidence of self or of the church or of the institution or whatever it is, but we're not trusting in Christ. Do you fully believe that Jesus Christ is your great high priest. That there is none other. That he, as Jesus, the son of God, has passed through the heavens into the very presence of God. That he has finished his work and now invites you into that presence. Then come with confidence. Not a, oh, Lord, I really hope you hear me. Lord, I really hope you listen to me. Lord, I really hope you spend time with, with me because I'm, I'm nothing. Yes, you are. But Christ is something. And it's he who extends to you the invitation to come. I'm not saying there's not a place for humility. Of course there is. But humility on the one hand requires confidence in Christ on the other. Else we just sound like whiny children. Who have no trust in a great high priest. When that priest on that day of atonement went into the presence of God and he took that blood of that offering and he spills it, sprinkles it before that Ark of the Covenant and then he comes out. You know what the people knew? 
God approved. Because the guy came out. Stories have it that the high priest wore a rope around his ankle. And as he walked into the most holy place, he had that rope around there. Why? In case he was slain in there. And they could haul him out. They had a means by which they could pull the guy back out because nobody else could enter. How are they going to get the guy out? Every time he comes out, God's accepted the sacrifice. Every time you pray, pray with the confidence of knowing that God has accepted the work of our high priest. With confidence. Come then. Draw near. To the throne of grace with confidence. That we may receive mercy. And find grace to help. In time of need. Mercy and grace. Mercy is God's tender compassion poured out in our times of misery and distress, our physical life. See, even as, as Christ as this human and divine nature, so the author is placing before us God's throne of grace that we can approach with confidence. It's a place where for our human being, our human nature, there is indeed mercy. But there is also grace for our sin, for our spiritual lacking, for our spiritual inability, for our spiritual imperfection. Just as there is mercy for our physical imperfections, our physical hurts, our physical ailments, so there is a spiritual mercy called grace for our sin. That's what we find. That's what we find. You see, God never wants his children to be lacking. He gives us access to his throne of grace that we can approach with confidence because of our great high priest. Amen? Amen. Father, as we come before you in this evening hour, how grateful, how thankful, how blessed we are to have a great high priest, Jesus, your son, who even now is intercessing before your throne of grace. And so we come to you with great confidence in his work, in his finished work. We ask, Father, for your blessing 
of mercy and grace upon our lives in this week. That you would be honored and glorified and praised. And God's people say, Amen.